We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we are back. The time is 6-11 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We've got two lines open if you want to chime in on the question How are you doing during this coronavirus shutdown time, this shelter for cover time? Is it a blessing? Is it a burden? What have you learned about yourself through this time in terms of your um, uh, in terms of your, your, your spiritual capacity, your spiritual status? Is this a challenge for you as it would be for a number of people who um, who are, uh, you know, not used to being uh, not used to being isolated, not used to being limited, not used to having to figure out what to do in terms of just organic, natural uh, processes uh, versus being stimulated by a, um, a real uh, inclination uh, that comes from work or from play. Uh, as some of our callers had stated, this is a great time to really, um, you know, just do some natural things and see it for what it is. one 367 5329 one 367 Shanice, if you want to call again, you can get on the line. Let me go to line number one and talk with Alma from San Bruno. Alma, are you there? Yes, I am, Pastor Jesse. God bless you and keep you briefly. I really have such peace because I trust, I'm believing, and I know that God, I'm an overcomer, and I, I spend my time encouraging and sharing the word with, with those who will call me, who believe it. A uh, lady told me about your program a while ago, so I turned on paper, and I said, Lord, look how blessed I am. Thank you. But I just want to share a word of encouragement <laughs> to the people of God. Amen. I just want to say that when Jesus is your trainer, he will tell his word will tell you that you're trained for this fight, and you're trained to go twelve rounds, so to speak. If you and you're going to win over this mountain, when you go through your valley, you will not drown in the flood. The Lord says, "I will perfect the things that concern you." Saints, don't give up on God. God is bringing us about a bring about a refreshing. I'm sorry, I'm so emotional. I'm excited, and I'm just mm-hmm. happy to be able to talk with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When you're going through your wilderness, but don't let the devil, you may be going through your wilderness, but don't let the devil keep you from your promised land. If Amen. you reap, if you faint not, God has, oh, I feel for such a time as this. I'm praying and believing, and when you have faith, I encourage you to have faith and pray, because the word says the effect of fervent prayer of the righteous again, but so I encourage God's people to please don't give up on God. Trust Him. Get in the word. Share your faith. If you if you're weak on faith, share your faith. Share word. If this is a good time. God is bringing us. He said, "Yeah, I'll shut down the churches. I'll shut down the schools." He knows how to get our attention. I get Agreed. emotional, Pastor. I'm sorry, but I'm going to get off here because I get so emotional when I talk about our Lord and Savior. And I pray you and your congregation, you and the family, will be blessed because God has this thing in control. When He says enough, it is enough. I agree. Trust him to leave him and lift him up. Glory to God. I agree. Somebody get off and give somebody else a chance because my emotions come out when I 
when I think about not heard how good he's just mm-hmm. been, but how good he is. Mm-hmm. I agree. Glory to God. Glory to God. I agree. Bless you. Bless, Bless you. you. Bless you too. I I agree. I totally, I totally agree with her on that. I've got two lines open: one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Quite frankly, we could all use much more of an overflowing of joy and uh, jubilation and just being thrilled about God in Christ. That's just an amazing thing to me. I, you know, I, I work on a, a comprehensive. Uh, a gospel presentation in terms of my walk with God, my ministry, our calling. Um, the idea of being thrilled about Christ should not be a, a, a bizarre thing. I mean, we 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 do need to recognize the importance of of, uh, of uh, boundaries and parameters. You know that, and sister. Uh, Alma was, you know, just letting everybody know that, you know, excuse her for being super excited, Uh, you know, but when that kind of pours over, just let somebody else that might be a little bit depleted take their cup and, uh, and, and draw from that overflow and drink it in themselves because one of the one of the most effectual testimonies that we can render to people when we are dealing with the times that we're dealing with is being able to let the world know uh, that the kingdom of God is present, the kingdom of God is powerful, the kingdom of God is personal, the kingdom of God is prominent. And uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory, ought to really, really make you a happy person. I mean, really excited. Just, it ought to, you, if you're going to lose anything as you get older and start waning in so many areas of your life, don't let it be the joy of the Lord. And don't tell me you have the joy of the Lord and I can't detect it when you can be happy about football and baseball and television programs and carnal things. And yet you can't be happy about Jesus. Do not tell me that you have the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord will show up as a strength character in your life, a strength character in your life. And when you when you see crisis scenarios where men and women are able to uh, go in as uh, first responders and engage in helping people and and uh, delivering people, uh, those are some of the most grounded people, some of the most uh, gifted people. And in the spiritual sense, men and women who are used to uh, running against the tide, swimming upstream, walking up that mountaintop, they know that one of the key elements in that is a an abiding joy in the soul that allows them to um, be a witness to God's goodness in their life. And so I, I want to encourage all of us to find a reason to be excited about the glory of God in Christ. Do not succumb to pessimism. Do not succumb to a lackadaisical view about the things of God. Don't let it happen. Uh, the, last, the last church that we're going to deal with, and I'm starting a series uh, beginning this Sunday on the seven churches of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last church, the Laodicean age, is the age of lackadaisical presumption around self-sufficiency and a complete uh, a complete loss of vacancy, uh, evacuation, if you will, evacuation of the qualities of Christ. Christ said, because you are not hot or cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Those are very serious words by the Lord of glory about how he feels, about how you should feel, 
about him. Those are very serious words, ladies and gentlemen. So I appreciate uh, I appreciate I appreciate Miss Alma for that. Let me give a little bit of exhortation here, and then I will uh, continue with your phone calls. I'll probably end up taking a break, and then I'll come back and I'll I'll deal with uh, with uh, Travis, and then I will deal with Shanice, and I will deal with Marlis. But Psalm forty six ten, you've heard it before. In Psalm 4610, which is just a, the whole of that psalm is just magnificent. I just want to share a few words with you by way of teaching. Uh, it opens up this way, Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will we not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. The psalmist talks about the trouble that you and I experience in this world. He says we won't be moved because in the midst of all of this moving stuff is a quiet stream. Will you notice what he said in the next verse? There is a river. The streams whereof make glad, watch this, the city of God. There's a river that flows throughout the midst of the chaos. And that river is the spirit of the living God. He is that river of life depicted in the book of Revelation, typified and patterned in the uh, protological framework of Genesis chapter 2, flowing out to the four corners of the world. He is that river that comes out of the temple of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 47. He is the river of joy, the river of peace, the river of calm, tranquility, the river of life, the river of blessing. He is that river. And will you notice what it says over in verse 9? God makes his, makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks bows. He cuts the spears asunder. He burns the chariots in the fire. And he's actually talking about how he destroys the enemy while the enemy is presently uh, just wreaking havoc. What he says to his people is, I'm going to destroy them. All that's going to stop. But here's what he says in verse 10. And I want to talk about it a little bit. Be still and know that I am God. Now, you guys know how religion does. It takes Bible verses and quotes them 500,000 times to the point where the verse means nothing. Be still and know that I am God. You'll hear that from the pagan. You'll hear from the unbeliever. You'll hear from Christians who just don't have a deep interest in what God's word says. But really, when you look at that imperative, be still. I want to say this before I go to the break. Be still. What God is saying right there is stop striving with me. Stop striving with me. Now, I've got eight minutes, so I'm going to teach you a little bit here so you can get it. What God says to his people is be still means stop striving with him. It's the picture actually of wrestling God for control. You get the analogy of a, of a person who who doesn't know how to have any kind of assurance unless they're in control, unless they have the reins, unless they are determining things, unless they are, uh, unless they are uh, in absolute control. The word here, be still, literally means to stop striving. It means to release your hand from the steering wheel. 
And particularly, we use this when we're dealing with our DOG, our Daughters of Grace class. And that'll come back up, you guys, when we come out of the shelter of cover. So I know a lot of you ladies have been asking about it. We'll get back to our DOG. But please listen to me now. Be still means to release your volitional control over matters. Release your practical control over matters. Um, Stop striving with God. That's what God is saying to his own people. He's not even saying that to the world. He's saying that to you and me in situations where we don't particularly like the way that it goes. And we're striving to do something about it. And God is saying, if you do that, you'll never get to know who I am. Why? Because there's a sense in which God will let you and I have control over life and do what we want to do. But in doing it, we never, ever get to see God manifest himself until we are in absolutely dire straits. Now, notice what he's saying. He understands your circumstances. He understands the trouble. He understands the war. He understands the conflicts. He understands the people surrounding you. He does. He understands it. He understands the battle. He understands the enemy up against your neck, breathing down your neck, speaking in your ears. He totally understands. But what he's saying to you is, this is not for you to negotiate, to handle, to deal with. Probably a lot of reasons that that could be the case. But the idea of being still means to stop striving with God, release your hold of control, slow down. When you're in the fog, you know what a lot of people do in the fog when they're driving and the fog gets so thick that you can't see 10 feet in front of you? They hold the steering wheel tighter. Well, that can get you into a car accident. What you need to do is slow down and actually pull over and stop. And for a lot of us with this coronavirus scenario, one of the things that God is telling us to do is slow down, pull over. And in some cases, what? Stop. Just stop. We've been in control all of our life. We've been doing what we want to do all of our lives. We've not given it to the Lord. We just have not. Here's the other word that is rendered in in the Hebrew. Watch this. When he says, be still, he's saying, relax. Now, have you ever examined how a person who doesn't know how to relax is? They're tense, they're rigid, um, they're anxious. Have you ever examined yourself and discovered that whereas you thought you were relaxing, but you weren't relaxed in your shoulders, you weren't relaxed in your back, you weren't relaxed in your head, you weren't relaxed in your hips, and, and you know, you had to actually identify every body part and intentionally Try to relax. Remember that? And you thought to yourself when you discovered that I'm not a relaxed person, you didn't know that you were not a relaxed person, that you have been walking around with tension all this time because you didn't know how to relax each part of your body. Well, this is what God is saying. In fact, that Hebrew word, be still, literally means to become lazy. And it doesn't mean to be lazy in silly things and foolish things. But what it means is to be lazy in God. It's the idea of a child. Now, I want you to get the analogy. I've got four minutes. I want you to get this. It's the idea of a child who is around very attentive parents. And that child will look up into the eyes of a mother or a father and recognize that the parents are watching them. And you know what they'll do? They'll completely get lazy. They'll just go limp. They'll fall and laugh and play and enjoy 
freedom from being responsible for their own welfare. That's what a child does who can identify an attentive parent. And God is an attentive parent. Our Father in heaven is an attentive parent. And when he calls you and I to be still, he's telling us to be still, to let go, to relax, to stop striving with him, to become lazy, please. Now watch this, so that we can know him. Now this is profound. Be still, become lazy, let go, relax, release the steering wheel so that you can know him. This knowing now has to be understood as experiential, doesn't it? Because we can know him academically. We can know him in terms of Bible verses and Bible doctrine and not know him experientially. In other words, if we know him but don't trust him, then we don't know him because to know him is to trust him. But to trust him is to see him come through in times when things are difficult, where we might be inclined to put our hand on the wheel, take control, manipulate, maneuver, determine how this should go. But as a little child coming to be persuaded that God better is better at dealing with these situations than we are, what you do is become lazy in God's truth, become lazy in God's promises, become lazy in God's testimony. The lazy here is Proverbs 3, 5. Listen to it. Trust in the Lord. That Hebrew word means to lean back on as if a crutch. Trust in the Lord. Lean back into, become lazy, relax, fall on the Lord and do it with all your might. Don't just do it partially. Do it with all your might. Do not lean. See, that's the antithesis. Do not lean on your own understanding. There you go. That's the big challenge, isn't it? Trust in the Lord. Lean into him. Don't lean into your own understanding. Use your understanding. Don't lean on it. Don't trust it. Use your understanding. Don't lean on it. Don't trust it. Lean. Trust in the Lord. Lean not unto your own understanding. Having trusted in the Lord with all your might, Lean not to your own understanding, but watch this. Here it is. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. In other words, acknowledge means to confess him. It means to declare him. It means to call upon him. It means to defer to him. It means to seek his counsel, seek his advice, read his word, study his word, ask wise people about how this thing should go from the Lord. Uh, And he will direct your steps. Now, that's a word to my brothers and sisters in the midst of this coronavirus thing where you may be seriously struggling. I have always found that the area in which believers are most in trouble spiritually is at basic principle levels. The area in which most believers are struggling is at basic principles level, at the fundamental principle of prayer, at the fundamental principle of Bible reading at the fundamental principle of fellowship. That's where they are in trouble. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'll take your phone calls. I think I got one line open, one 367 I got Travis first. I've got uh, Shauna second. And then I've got Marla's third. And we can finish the next 30 minutes on this Monday edition of Lifeline talking about how to handle this. One line open, one 367 one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are back. The time is six thirty-four on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let me see here. We've got one line open. 
one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let's go to line number two and talk with Travis in Berkeley. Travis, are you there? Uh, how are you doing, Pastor Jesse? Hey, soldier, what's up? Um, so one of the things that I'm experiencing is um, I'm surprised at um, the amount of fear that I'm um, that I'm that I'm um, hearing um, people that claim to be believers as well as some non-believers. Uh, you know, sure, sure. talking about like it's the end of the world, and uh, I really don't believe that it's the end of the world. But um, if it was, like, why would it be such a bad thing? I mean, like, as a believer, you're going to a place where it's like no disease at all for eternity. <laughs> and um, and I guess my question is, I'm not sure if if that this fear is like a good thing because these like some people like just like don't have any fear like during like regular times, but now it's like people are in fear so right. um i think as myself what like, one of the things that i would do to try to help with just to try to share the gospel and try to uh-huh. share the word and scriptures as well as pray that yeah. um that they that they might be able to have the same peace that the lord has blessed me to come to find because i actually see myself how i would be there if i wasn't you know if god hadn't placed me with the security that he's placed me with now and, and then i actually look at it as a blessing for myself, because it's like, wow, like, I'm really seeing that people, like, are really in the fear, like, oh, it's the end of the world type. But again, right. like, um, you know, like, as believers, I mean, even if it was, we should kind of, like, be looking forward to, you know, our eternal home. I agree. I agree. I might, I might be a little bit, uh, a, a little bit more pastoral, and you, you would understand why, but I would agree that uh, a couple things, and, and, um, Anytime we have these kind of a worldwide, overwhelming, beyond human uh, intellectual powers to resolve in five minutes, the one thing that emerges out of the whole human race is fear. That is an intrinsic quality that lets us all know our mortality. Uh, fear uh, is going to be rooted in several things, Travis, but it certainly is something that the believer can either manage and negotiate or discover that it is completely capped and controlled by a measure of grace rooted in faith that's given to a believer by God so that technically we couldn't boast of having greater faith than someone else. Sometimes God gives us a physical, uh, a mental constitution, a, uh, a makeup in our personality where we actually thrive in difficulties more than we do in prosperous times. And so in prosperous times, there are some believers that can do better than us uh, in prosperous times because they are di- their disposition is to know how to be more thankful and be more uh, willing to give and to serve and to um, exhibit God's uh, fullness in their life. But one, once trouble comes, they don't know how to live. Uh, like Paul said in, in Ephesians or Philippians chapter uh, four, uh, I, I know how to both uh, abound and to a base. I have learned how to be content in whatsoever state I am. Not every believer has that maturity. And so when we enter into a crisis like this, you're going to see some people exposed for being weak in areas of their faith. Um, and, and yet the word of God is explicitly clear. He did not give us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So any of us that would be operating out of an undue fear, an unbiblical fear, an irrational fear, an unprincipled fear. Now, I've talked about this before. There is a healthy fear, Psalm 50 
2, 56 makes it clear. At what time I am afraid, I will trust in the Lord. Um, If I am operating out of a healthy fear, it will be because there are areas in my life that are not right and my conscience is letting me know not to be stupid enough or arrogant enough to think that I'm going to go into the presence of God with these matters all messed up and not approach God appropriately. But, you know, and therefore a good fear will drive us to the Lord. I've said that before. Trials drive us to the Lord. Temptations drive us away. But in this matter in what you're talking about, um, here's what I'm going to say about it, because I've heard it a couple of times. And in my series on the revelation of Jesus Christ, I am inevitably compelled to have to let people know that earthly physical calamities, earthly physical, natural catastrophes, all of it, earthquakes, wars, this, that, or the other, they never convert people. They never save people. You're not converted or saved by the weakness of world wars, the weakness of plagues, the weakness of tribulation. And I say the weak in this sense. It takes a power greater than an earthquake to save a person. It takes a power greater than a tsunami, greater than a massive worldwide calamity to save a person. This is how desperately desperately lost we are, uh, Travis. We are so lost that we are spiritually dead. And unless we are born again, we will not be saved. People can holler and scream, uh, shout and and doubt and, and fight and fret, and, and even make promises that they're going to do right. But as soon as the trouble is over, they're back to their same old ways as it was with 9-11 and, uh, and any, every other catastrophe that has hit our world. So when you read the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, what I teach is none of the trumpet judgments and none of the bold judgments saved anybody in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. The only time people got saved was when the gospel was preached, the two witnesses were killed, and then they rose again on their feet and ascended on high into heaven, and and the people saw them, and they gave glory to God. So what gives glory to God is when there's a real vital church that suffers for the gospel, willing to preach Christ to a lost and hell-bound world, and the Spirit of God works in their hearts to bring about a solution to their fears. But people don't get saved through this kind of stuff that we're dealing with, Now, if you're already saved, what God will often do is he'll let um, these kind of troubles wake you up. I'm dealing with a lot of that as a pastor. A lot of people promising to get right with God and promising to come back to church and promising to, to do right. We hear that. And if you're truly a believer, he will use that. He chastens his people through these things. Job makes that plain. But uh, if you discover like you have right now, brother, uh, the, the peace that passes understanding and, uh, and, and that keeps your heart and mind guarded in Christ Jesus, rejoice in it. Yeah, and just let people know, hey, this today is the day of salvation just like tomorrow. And, uh, and, and keep it moving because what God wants his people to do in the midst of all this is to be um, kind, but also be consistent, be gospel centered uh, and don't don't feed into the fear. Don't sell it like a dope addict to, to people that are tripping and need a false fix. Jesus is the answer. And if we don't preach Jesus to people, then we are preparing them for hell as well. So, yeah, man, you, you keep enjoying that gift, brother. You keep enjoying that gift. Thanks for the call. Let me go to line number three and talk with Shanice. 
from the Bay Area. Shanice, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi. Pastor How are you? Jesse. I'm doing well with you. I'm great. What's um, going on? Um, basically, in response to your question, um, I did notice that in this time, my lines of communications have definitely expanded. I'm hearing from people that I haven't heard from in a long time. Um, you know, people are being a little more caring, um, checking in, just making sure that everyone's okay. Yep. <laughs> so that's yep. a good thing. It is being good. Able to communicate. Mm-hmm. And then, um, actually, um, because of my network of, um, you know, um, being invited to prayer calls in the mornings and even in the evenings, and there's um, people in the medical fields that are um, on those calls, so I'm kind of he- getting to hear firsthand, you know, their prayer requests and what they're dealing with. So, of course, my heart um, and then um, also having a little more time to self-assess and, um, you know, study and basically being more uh, more about how I utilize my resources. <laughs> I love it. But, I love it. <laughs> but um, I'm really grateful for how the things um, in the stores and things are being handled in an orderly manner. I'm able to get in and out and get exactly what I need and, um, you know, have a nice chat with the checker. So. Um, I'm pleased with the way things are going um, with that. I'm really grateful to God. Um, I have a quick question for you, though. It's something that I keep on hearing coming up um, with my prayer calls and things, and I think the question is being asked kind of in a in a fearful side. Um, sure. People are more inquiring about tithing um, and the, the 10%, and it made me think about the Good Steward series that you taught on last year. So I'm just right. wondering, scripturally, how do I address that? You know, how do I come, you know, with them from the, the Lord's Word correctly? Right. Excellent. First of all, it's, it's, this is what I love and I'm thankful about people um, uh, having a, a missional life that when these kind of difficulties occur, it really doesn't uh, take away missional behavior. We, you know, when these kind of things occur, we should be uh, a little bit more busy than often to be part of a prayer line and to be able to hear the prayers of first responders. That's magnificent to be able to do what you're doing and have the perspective that you have about how the order is being maintained and things of that nature. That's really, really good. Now, uh, quickly, before I go to break on the issue of tithing, tithing never works. If you think you're going to manipulate God to give you something um, because you give him 10 percent, God does not operate out of give me 10. I'll give you 100. He doesn't need your money. All the cattle on a thousand hills are here. Psalm 50 makes it very plain. The only kind of giving that honors God is hilarious giving. And we've talked about that. That's Second Corinthians 8 and 9. Hilarious giving. Now, hilarious giving is the kind of giving that gives to God because they love God and because they really truly believe that from him all blessings flow. Meaning, I give to God even in these difficult times because God is the one that gives to me. This is First Chronicles chapter 29. David said, all we're doing is giving back to you what you gave to us. And that's what he meant by the tithe. When the tithe was to be given into the storehouse, it was simply to underscore that everything we have comes from God and that God has a plan beyond the meeting of my own needs, which really is the sustaining of the ministry of the gospel. That's what the 10 percent was about in terms of the temple. And so when people give, it really is only faithful giving 
if it's coming from a place of loving God and trusting God and not trying to manipulate God to protect them through through this difficult time. It's so sad that teachers teach the concept of tithing the wrong way. Secondly, it's not a New Testament principle. It's an Old Testament principle. The New Testament principle is giving out of a hilarious heart. And that means giving from what you know and your conscience would really honor God. Some people giving 10% is an absolutely disgraceful response to all that God is giving them. Some people giving God 2% is an honorable thing to do. So that's the way I want to put it. Otherwise, defer them to our New Year's series, which was about three or four messages, as you know, and let them learn a right. Because they're not going to get anything from the Lord by thinking they can twist his arm with 10%. God is never hungry and he's never in debt to anyone. I got to take a hard break. Bless you, girl. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time 649. If you want to, you can give me a call. Two lines open. one 367 if you want to chime in in the last few minutes of our program. Uh, in preparation for winding down, I do want to let you know that if you are not presently engaging in a regiment of systematic, sound, rich, uh, biblically um, uh, grounded study in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you've never been through it, we would encourage you to join us. It's a great time to do it. You've got nothing else to do. Learn what that book is saying and learn how it's speaking to the people of God now, not somewhere in the distant future. Uh, the book of Revelation is relevant to the church, has always been, and will be to the end of time. It's relevant to the world, the lost world. It's relevant to Jew and Gentile, um, who when they are redeemed are the one body of Christ for whom Christ died, rose again, ascended on high, and lives at the right hand of God the Father, governing the universe for the good of his people and the glory of his Father. Um, we are now somewhere into about five or six messages if you want to go online, start with message number one. It was a Sunday school message that I taught a couple weeks ago. Uh, tomorrow at 630, I will be dealing with the throne room of God. John said in Revelation 4.1, I saw a door opened in heaven and a throne was set. And then John described in 10 verses, verses 1 through 11, he described in 10 verses the whole senate and magisterium of God's, uh, God's kingdom and authority and power and dominion. He described for us the beauty and splendor of that throne room. He described for us the persons in that throne room. And he described for us the passionate outbreak of majestic worship in that throne room from about verses five through verse 11. And we want to learn what it means to be in the throne room of God. That's what you want to do. You want to learn what it means to be in the throne room of God and what worship looks like from heaven. I'm going to be teaching on it for two days. Heaven is opened up. And the throne room of God is revealed to John. And John takes us systematically through all the persons that are there. The grounds upon which celebration breaks out into a massive, hyper, huber, Pentecostal type of celebration for who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. 
It is a it is a it is a manifestation of worship per excellence. And I'm going to teach it systematically, verse by verse, unpacking it for the edification of the people of God. And for those of you who are pastors out there, you, you might want to chime in as well and learn how to actually amp up, vamp up, ramp up your worship service in a biblical, crystal centric, God centered, um, spirit aided uh, rich believing community of saints in a way that will uh, take you to the next level when it comes to us coming up out of this coronavirus uh, shelter cover mandate so that once we begin to worship God in the future, we will know how to worship him, not in terms of where we are on the ground uh, and in our communities and in our isolated cubicles of local churches, but truly from a vertical standpoint of heaven opening and us seeing the invisible God and the person of Jesus Christ and the ruling reigning people of God that are uh, with him in the context of unmitigated worship. That's what you and I want to be able to do. Worship God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. That's the reason he saved us. So tomorrow's class is about uh, a door opened into the glory of the throne room of God. And then Wednesday, we're going to unpack verses 5 through 11 and talk about what constitutes true worship before God. Not the opinions of men, not what we say worship is, not how we determine whether it's, you know, uh, the regulative, regulative principles of worship by which we, you know, make sure we don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing, don't call attention to this, don't call attention to that. All that's good. The regulative principles of worship are fine. What Revelation chapter 4 is about is the centrality of worshiping God and Jesus Christ with unfettered joy because of the gospel and its message and it having the kind of impact on those who are truly redeemed people of God. Like our sister Alma was saying how excited she gets when she thinks about the Lord Jesus. If that's not what's going on in your heart when worship occurs, I'm here to let you know you don't worship God. There's no worship taking place in your life if your heart is not overflowing with the awe and the beauty, the power of his splendor and effulgence. It's really a revelation. And so that's what we're going to be doing. And then on Friday, I'm working through numbers there's a book of Revelation in your Bible actually talks to us about numbers, numbers one to one thousand. And we're understanding what the numbers in the Bible mean. You really can't enjoy the enjoy the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ unless you're clear on the number two, the number three, the number five, the number seven, the number 10, the number 12, the number uh, 144, the number 144,000, the number 1000, the number Three and a half, the number 42 months, the number 1260 days. If you're not clear on how those numbers work from Genesis to Revelation, you really can't keep up with God in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. So we're going to go through the didactic catechismal practice of understanding how important numbers are to God. And by the way, I started that series last Friday. What that means is if you really want to learn how to witness to people about God and his glory and his order and his structure and his purpose, and his plan, you got to learn numbers. Numbers are critical to everything that goes on in the universe. Every molecule, every cell, every DNA strand. Everything in our universe is operating out of the principle of numbers. 
Every letter in every alphabet system, every language, every dialect, every culture has a language dialect genre, and they're all rooted in what we call numerical values. It's important that you know numbers because you and I can have a conversation. I can't tell you today is Monday, March 30th without numbers, 2020. The time is 6.56. I can't talk to you about that. I can't tell you tomorrow... Tuesday at 6.30, we're going to start the class without giving you numbers. Numbers mean something. They are an economy of words. They say a lot of things in the essence of what they are designed to do. And you and I want to know those numbers. We want to know the God of those numbers. The triune God for whom the angels say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. Three numbers right there. Holy, holy, holy. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. God is strong in himself. He's the one triune God, yet he's tripersonal in his nature, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So they bear witness and they establish them, their truth, right? Out of themselves in the multitude of counselors, there is salvation in God himself is a multitude of counselors. So we begin to learn the number one, two, three, four, four, five, six, seven, six. That grand number that speaks to us about the relentless, uh, def- uh, diminutive seven, uh, whereby men are called to work and labor. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. That's what we are, laboring on the sixth day. We're waiting for that ultimate seventh day Sabbath. But some of us have that seventh day Sabbath in our heart. Christ is our seventh day. Christ is our Sabbath. Christ is our rest. But there are a lot of people who are not resting. What do you mean by that? The wicked are like the troubled sea tossed to and fro that can never enter into rest. And God promises that men and women will not enter into rest who do not believe his word and do not have faith in Jesus Christ. So there you go. That horrible six times six times six. That horrible number that describes the rebellion of mankind that fell short of submitting to the righteousness of God in Christ and thus entering into the rest that's in Jesus. Have you found that rest? We've come to the end of our program today. I'm glad that we had time to be with you on that. Uh, I've got to wrap it up now, but uh, I'll tell you, uh, be with us next week on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Be with us on Tuesday, 6.30. Be with us on Wednesday, 6.30. Be with us on Friday and join us uh, on Sunday at 10 if you have nothing else to do. Thank you for today's program. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.